Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. We've just finished the first Grand Slam of the year. Perhaps same old on the men's side with Novak Djokovic winning much more comfortably in the final than we thought he would do against uh, Daniel Medvedev in his second Grand Slam final. Uh, We reviewed the women's final on our last episode, so be sure to listen to that if you want to hear about the women's tournament. But here with me talking about the men's today, as ever, is Marcus Ali. I am Michael Gillett, I should remember to say, uh, and Marcus is with me. As ever, forgetting uh, to say when you're hosting, but um, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. A bit of a familiar tale, um, I think we, we saw on Rod Laver Arena, sadly. didn't Definitely didn't live up to the billing that we gave it in in the preview you know we're both very excited but you know just a lot of positives a lot of negatives and a lot of takeaways from the match itself though it didn't live up as a spectacle I, f- I still feel like we learned quite a lot about both players and um, it definitely uh, stands us in a better position to pass our judgment on um, how we see the remainder of the season progressing. Okay, so it was nine, a ninth Australian Open title for Djokovic. Uh, never lost uh, an Australian Open final or semi-final for that matter. And that has not changed this year, despite uh, quite a few moments during this tournament when we were fairly convinced it wasn't going to be Djokovic's year. He struggled against Francis Tiafo. He struggled a bit against Milos Raonic. Struggled a little bit against Alexander Zverev. Um, but... Kind of just as you said in the in the, the pre pod um, that it was very much the same uh, the, the same story we're used to at the Australian in terms of Vogue Djokovic did struggle and we have seen members of the big three struggling on routes to finals and then still just being able to get it over the line uh, that was very much what happened Daniel Medvedev had played fantastically right up to the point of the final and. Though we can't take it away from Djokovic, he's the best player to ever play at the Australian Open. It's such an amazing record he has. I do think we both felt a little bit let down by Daniel Medvedev. It's hard because, you know, I do see him as a much mentally stronger player than Tsitsipas, team Zverev, as we've talked about at length in the last few episodes. But um, I do feel like he he did crumble under pressure a little bit. He didn't really seem to turn up in this final. There was... You know, he made, he played a good first set, I think. Um, he went in a very early breakdown, but managed to get it back. Or was no, that was the second set, was No, no, he got it back. Yeah, yeah, he got the break back um, and then lost it 7-5 right at the end. Uh, but then, yeah, sets, sets two and three were, were quite straightforward for Djokovic. Um, so, yeah, my main take from this was Djokovic is amazing and Medvedev probably wasn't quite as ready as perhaps he should be and, and perhaps what we thought he was. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've taken a day to sort of calm down after watching this match and uh, gather our thoughts ahead of this episode because it was quite a, a raw feeling and I did feel very short-changed um, after bigging it up so much and watching the rest of the tournament, to be honest, from, from the match as a whole. Not to take anything away from Novak Djokovic, obviously incredible achievement. Nine Australian Opens, just two behind Nadal and Federer now in the all-time list. Um, But I do feel 
it was more of a poor display from Daniil Medvedev that saw the scoreline in straight sets and and uh, Djokovic winning those last two sets so easily than the best Novak Djokovic we've ever seen. Um, I think I said to you, I thought this was a sort of 7.58 performance out of 10 from Djokovic, but we were looking at a, a five probably from, from Medvedev. Um, he played a really good first set, as you said, which possibly made the cliff that he then fell off afterwards seem a little bit more gutting to us as, as Medvedev fans. Um, yeah, obviously serving to stay in the set at 5-6 in the first set, he threw in some poor errors and really shouldn't have lost that game. He was playing so well. Um, he really should have taken that to a tie break. And then what went on to follow was really disappointing. Medvedev, for me, after losing that first set, um, I think he, yeah, he um, he was love 40 down on his serve in that, at 5-6 and then brought it back to 30-40. But then Djokovic took the, the third remaining break point to, to, to clinch the set. And then for me, Medvedev disappeared for a set and a half, um, which already a set down, there's no real coming back from, especially against a player that we um, probably regard as, I definitely do, the, the greatest player of all time. Um, so yeah, that I think he went a break up, winning the first game of that second set, and then it was looking positive, but then Djokovic won four games on the trot, I think it was, um, breaking back straight away and then getting a break up. And yeah, Medvedev really couldn't live with him. Um, I say a set and a half because I think he came, he showed better tennis towards the end of the third set, played a few good games, um, but Djokovic's performance at the net was probably the most outstanding facet of, of the whole match. Um, I just look back on on the stats and he won 89% of his net, net points, which 16 out of 18, which is remarkable really particularly with the defensive skill of Daniil Medvedev um so there's that's an excellent performance from Djokovic there he only served three aces which was a surprise given how incredible he'd been serving in the tournament which for me also shows how um that no, I don't think it was an, an incredible unbeatable Djokovic that we saw yesterday uh, Medvedev served six but um we we expect he is, he is a bigger server so yeah, that Djokovic at the net was probably the best part of his game. But overall, I don't think he had to jump through any hoops to get the job done. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I mentioned on the the last podcast that 2018 final that he played, or no, sorry, 2019 final, but he played against Rafael Nadal uh, as being the greatest tennis performance I've ever seen. And uh, I think Djokovic was was miles below that yesterday. Um, you know, he was hitting shots in that match, closing points after two or three shots that he just shouldn't have been closing from the positions that he was in. And uh, I, I did feel yesterday, Medvedev had, had, he certainly had a lot more chances than the Dow did in that particular match. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't take them. And I think, like you say, he got it back from Love 40 to 30 40. And then I think from memory, that, that um, point that Djokovic won for the. Uh, the set was a, a an unforced error from Medvedev, um, forehand into the net, possibly. Um, yeah, um, and it, yeah, and it, 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 yeah, it's just a huge surprise because I, I was really, really hopeful for Medvedev, and I thought, I thought he would win, but I, I did think if he didn't win, uh, he would, um, take it to four or five sets. I actually probably thought that. 
if one man was going to win it in straight sets yesterday, I would have quite confidently said it would have been Medvedev because I would have just assumed that it would have been more because of a Djokovic injury that Medvedev had been able to to steam it in, in free. Djokovic completely destroying him yesterday wasn't something that I saw and perhaps we shouldn't be so naive. Perhaps we should know from the last however many years it's been uh, that, that this is going to happen and, and perhaps we should have said in our preview, well, Djokovic is just going to blitz it because I think that is what we should be used to seeing now. Um, but but that's not what we felt. Um, and, and it's just it's a, it's a real shame for Medvedev. I think maybe looking at the bigger picture, I still take a little bit more confidence that Medvedev will maybe not look at this um, in such a negative way as to maybe how... Dominic Team has looked at losing Sam finals. Obviously, he did win that one at the US Open. But uh, as you said, as you've said before, there's a bit of an asterisk next to the the win with Nadal and Federer not playing and Djokovic getting disqualified before uh, the final. Um, I, I think you know Team is very much sort of someone who I feel maybe does get hung up on defeats a little bit. I know you know Sasha Zverev definitely does. Uh, whereas I, I feel like Medvedev, especially in his post-match interview, he spoke very well. I know you said this to me on my our DMs as well yesterday. Medvedev did uh, didn't really seem very phased at all in that post-match. He he, he looked disappointed, but uh, he didn't give that sort of impression that he was going to sort of uh, go backstage, if you like, and and almost fall down into tears we don't really get the impression of that with Medvedev and, and perhaps you know that that is a good thing in the sense that you know we've heard the stories about Andy Murray going into the the bathroom or whatever it was in the uh I think it was the US Open when he won it and um basically nearly broke down himself and then managed to, to go back out and win it and you know maybe th- things like that do help but um I do I do take a lot of positives uh that Medvedev I think we'll bounce back from this. I think we've sh- we've seen over the last few two, few months he's much more consistent than these other players coming up. Um, so yeah, but personally, I although I'm a bit gutted by his performance yesterday and feel a little bit let down, I don't feel as worried about it as I do about some of the other players. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree. Yeah, um, I think Medvedev definitely doesn't get too high when he wins. And we saw yesterday he definitely doesn't get too low when he loses. I think he's, he'll be able to brush that off quite nicely, just be able to, you know, hold his hands up and say Djokovic is the king of Rod Laver Arena and, yeah, one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest. So I I, I don't think he'll, he'll dwell on it for too long. He spoke brilliantly after the match and even going into it, I think we both said that we think he's got a bit of a stronger mentality than the likes of team and uh, Sasha Zverev. So yeah, I think of course he's put a twenty match win streak together before this this final, <laughs> which yeah can be another ex- excuse for for the the preview and uh, your your punt on him to 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 win the the trophy. But it, it was very poor, you know. We go seven breaks to two for Djokovic. Maybe in, in that head to head, Djokovic will have a bit more over him after the dominance of this result. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure, but no, I, I definitely feel better about Medvedev than I did. If you exclude the uh, ATP Tour Finals, and then I, I feel better now, despite the monstrosity of uh, the thrashing that he got, 
than I did after he lost in the semi-final to US in the, of the US Open to Dominic Team last year. You know, that was a, a moment which I think Medvedev came into that match as favourite. When Djokovic went out, Medvedev went as favourite for the US Open, got done by Team in straights in the semi-final, and then has managed to regather himself and produce this 20-match win streak, which has seen him win the ATP Tour Finals and, of course, get to the final of the Australian Open. So... Given given that, I'm definitely feeling better about Medvedev. He's, he's 25, so he's a little bit older than like Sitsipas, Zverev and Rublev. So he's probably got a little bit of a mental edge over them. Whether he'll be playing any of them in a Grand Slam final anytime soon is another question. But um, yeah, after this match, um, the performance was disappointing, but I still feel very confident in him winning slams in his career. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think even Novak Djokovic speaking in his post-match uh, interview on court, and I know they all do this, um, you know, I've seen Nadal do this to team on quite a few occasions. I, I did feel when Djokovic told Medvedev that he would be leaving sort of uh, at, at Djokovic's age with, with Grand Slam titles, I did kind of feel in the way that he said it, there seemed to be a, a bit more confidence there. You know, so often you you kind of... You hear people. I mean, I think we we spoke on our DMs a bit before about uh, the women's match and the the uh, tournament director almost just telling Jennifer Brady that she would just turn up at the final next year and win the tournament. And I think everyone was a bit like, "Well, hold back a sec." But I, I do think when Djokovic said that about Medvedev going on to win this tournament and and win Grand Slams, I do think he has absolutely every confidence that that Medvedev can do it. And I, I think you know that they touched upon it in their interviews that they know each other quite well and I don't think Djokovic is someone who would say that lightly um I perhaps think coming from a Nadal and Federer perhaps they would be a bit easier just to, to say that oh yeah you'll come back and, and win something but I do think maybe with Djokovic is a little bit of a harder comment to earn maybe um but yeah, let's just talk a bit more about Djokovic. Um, as you mentioned, you know, he's now two off of Federer and Nadal in the all-time Grand Slam list. We're going to take the sort of viewer narrative that Federer is not going to win another one because I think that's generally how people are thinking now uh, What with all this surgery and injuries and we're still not 100% when about he's, he's going to be returning to the sport nearly at the age of 40 now. Um Obviously, Nadal is on 20 as well as Federer with another French Open uh, just, you know, three, four months away now. Um, so you'd think that he's going to be favourite to get a title there. Djokovic, you would think, is probably going to be getting three more Grand Slam titles in his career, at least. You know, I, I'd be very surprised if he didn't from this point. So I think we could both probably quite confidently say that Nadal and Djokovic are going to pass Federer in this list, which is a brilliant um, achievement for both of them, considering they've both been around at the time. They've been at their best, whereas Federer, not to take it away from him at all, but there was a long period of time when he was winning sounds about too much competition before Nadal came to the scene. Um, but yeah, just a, a word on that all-time list, Marcus, and, and where you think this puts it, you know, perhaps it doesn't change it too much, but... Um, you know, I, I think you would agree with me probably that we can quite confidently say that Nadal and Djokovic are going to be passing Federer now on, on that all-time list. And Djokovic, after that title, probably definitely has a really good shout at, at finishing top. Yeah, definitely. I think Rafael Nadal will be a huge favourite to pass Federer at the French Open in a few months' time. Um, as for Djokovic, 
I'd definitely make him the favourite to finish his career with more slams than the other two. He currently goes in to three out of the four slams as favourite. Um, I know he hasn't fared too well at the US Open in the last few years, but his hardcore game is, is the best maybe ever, probably ever. So, yeah, I've got to make him favourite in, in that race. Of course, he's younger than Nadal as well. Um, just one more thing I wanted to bring up is the whole metaphor and uh, stuff that we see of the new versus the old in, in these types of finals. And I know on this podcast, we've definitely tried to champion the new guys to try and uh, see if they can, uh, if they can topple the old and there will be a moment when it comes to that. I'm, I'm confident that that will happen. Um, you know, they will be beaten before they retire. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that almost made it a little bit more disappointing. Like seeing, I saw Boris Becker on pre-match saying how uh, he, he was basically saying how he counts Roger coming back in and being better than all of the, non-slam winning top 10 players um which for me is just a horrible statement to make about someone who's nearly 40 years old and it, of course it it reflects badly on these players that are yeah working day in day out and a lot of them not with a grand slam title to their name yet but um so yeah i think that was why we i was particularly um disappointed about yesterday but no i, I do still feel very confident that in the next few years, we will see the likes of Team Medvedev, Tsitsipas, beat Nadal and Djokovic at slams. Um, but yeah, in terms of the all-time race, my answer is is definitely Djokovic to to end up with with more slams than Nadal and Federer. And I expect Nadal to overtake Federer very soon. Yeah, I think what you say about you know thinking we are going to be seeing Grand Slam winners, new Grand Slam winners over the next few years, I completely agree because obviously you know these the, the big three are going to be getting old at some point soon um, and and finishing their careers. But I, I and I mentioned this before on the podcast, I'd still wonder if there is the risk of almost having that missed generation. Uh, as we've said, I'm not too worried about Medvedev, but I think he'll go on and. And win slams, but when I look at the likes of Zverev, you know, team, it feels a bit negative to be talking about him like this because a couple of months ago, you know, we were literally in awe of what he was doing uh, at the ATP finals. I know he didn't win that, but the way he beat Djokovic and that was was sensational. But you know, is there is there that um, risk that the big three stay around long enough for another couple of years? That when they finally do get topped, the guys that are beating them are the the Yannick Sinners of the world, the Sebastian Cordas, uh, Felix Auger Aliassim, um, Alcarez. I know someone that you know we're, we're quite hopeful of. I know he's a long way off, uh, sort of reaching where Sinner and Alcarez are at the moment. Um, into uh, sorry, to where Sinner and Felix are at the moment in terms of ranking, um, like Lorenzo Massetti as well. These guys all. Oh, actually next-gen players. We described the, the teams and uh, Zverev's a bit as next-gen, but but in reality, they're not. Uh, they're they're the sort of the prime generation, really, in terms of age. Uh, and, yeah, I, I just wonder if you think that we are risking this uh, misgeneration a little bit and perhaps by the time these big three do take a bow and, and step away, 
are we going to have guys sort of coming from below who are, are better than players like Zverev, Medvedev team? I would say Sitsipas, but then I feel like he probably still does nearly just about belong to that next-gen uh, category and age. So you're asking me to predict whether it will be a trio of Felix Auger, Aliasim, Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz to take on the mantle rather than Sitsipas, Zverev and Medvedev? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, is is there the risk that, you know, if the big three do play for another couple of years, as well as they are, there's going to be a whole new generation of players who have now reached that age and have played enough where they're ready to win slams, that it almost, it, there's a risk that it might pass on to them and not to people like Zverev. Definitely. Um, but at the end of the day, I, th- I think if that does happen, it'll be on merit. Um, I, I, you know... If we get to the stage, yeah, where Carlos Alcaraz is in his early 20s and is better than a Daniel Medvedev in his early 30s, then that's fine. That's justified. I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, we could live a very long time and Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer is likely to still be the best era of tennis unless someone goes on to dominate for years. You know, we've got the three players in the greatest of all time, slam wins list all playing at the same time so you'd say miss generation but there's a you know it's allowed um you know they're playing against greatness um so yeah Dominic team um Andy Murray Daniel Medvedev Stan Wawrinka probably would have won way more slams in another era but I don't don't think that necessarily makes them a, a miss generation I think they're still great players in their in their own right they probably just won't have as many slams to boast at the end of their careers that some players that have gone before them have. Um, I'm not worried about that being a missed generation. I think, you know, they'll, they'll be just as, as, as appreciated and will win loads of titles, if not grand slams anyway, um, less, less prestigious ones, but you know, that they'll still be hugely successful players and look back on hugely successful careers, in my opinion. No, that's fair enough. I just, Maybe think that sort of the, the getting beaten in many finals and semi-finals of slams by the same old likes of Djokovic and Federer and well maybe not Federer but Nadal um, and never really being able to cut, overcome that challenge uh, might make them sort of a bit mentally weaker and frustrated um, and whereas these other younger guys coming up have never had to do that sort of losing consistently in these these later rounds of slams but um yeah no it's gonna be interesting to see how it unfolds um I think that's pretty much enough now on the Australian Open I think Marcus and I have both indicated that the final was one of slight frustration uh with the result not really going how we expected it and wanted it to go although I say expected to it I'll give credit where credit's due uh, Marcus did predict Djokovic to win the title uh in in that final um, but yeah, I think we'll we'll move on from the Australian Open now, um, and we'll wait another year to talk about Djokovic winning it again. Um, so we have got some uh, tournaments on this week, the ATP Tour is back. We've got a free uh, 250 tournaments. Um, 
that is the the lowest level of tournament on the ATP main tour. Um, they come from all across the globe, actually. Three tournaments in in three different continents, uh, with uh, Montpellier, uh, Cordoba. So Montpellier being in France, Cordoba being in Argentina, and then Singapore, which I I think is a new tournament. Marcus can correct me when he comes in. Uh, next on that, but I don't feel like I recognise uh, Singapore as, as being a regular ATP Tour tournament. Um, so Montpellier uh, is an indoor tournament. Uh, it's quite a good lineup at Montpellier, actually. The main story being Andy Murray returning to the ATP uh, Professional Tour. He did play a Challenger tournament a couple of weeks ago and uh, made the, the final of that, uh, losing to um, Ilya Marchenko. Uh, pulled out the next week because he just uh, wanted to sort of have a bit more of a break before this tournament. He'll face Igor Garasimov, uh, the man who recently lost to uh, the the star of the Australian Open show in Aslan Karatsev. Uh, he lost that match, losing one game. Uh, sorry, just winning one game. Uh, so he'll be the man facing Murray. Yannick Sinner, the exciting youngster who won back-to-back titles uh, at the end of last year and beginning of this one. He's also there, uh, top seed Roberto Bautista, a good top seed, although probably uh, a little way down in terms of people that you'd fancy to win this tournament. You've also got Ugo and Bear uh, playing very well of recent. Um, Lorenzo Senego, uh, who beat Novak Djokovic very comfortably at the end of last year. And David Goffin is the, the number two seed. Uh, so how we normally do it is, uh, I think, we'll go through our, our predictions of our quarterfinal matches. Um, I'm happy to start off for Montpellier. I can't actually see Marcus on my screen whilst I've got... Uh, there we go, that's better. I can now see Marcus. Uh, and yeah, he looks ready for me to, to give my predictions. Um, so my first quarterfinal for this will be the number one seed, Roberto Bautista Gutt against uh, the number six seed, Ugo Mbeh, that exciting player who was on a fantastic five-set match against Nick Kyrgios uh, in the Australian Open. Kyrgios coming back uh, to win that match uh, in, in exceptional style. Uh, this is my second semi-final will be, uh, oh, sorry, quarter-final will be Gilles Simon uh, to face another really good performer at the uh, French Open, youngster Mikhail Imer. Uh, and then I've got Yannick Sinner to face Hugo Her- Hubert Herkashk in the third quarterfinal. Herkashk, another really exciting young player playing at this tournament. And then my fourth quarterfinal being Lorenzo Senego uh, to face David Goffin, the number two seed. Uh, so I'll pass it to Marcus. Interesting. I've got a few differences here. Um... The top quarterfinal is the same, Bautista Agu versus Ugo Mbeer. We kind of need a good run from Mbeer, having gone so big on him to win. Uh, I think it was one of the smaller tournaments before the Australian Open, and uh, he went out in the first round to James Duckworth. So we kind of need a, a semi-final or a final, at least to keep a bit of credibility. But no, I still feel as bullish about Ugo Mbeer in this tournament, and I do have him to win the title again. Um, just a little sneak peek. Uh, the second semi-final is the same. Yeah, Michele Mayer versus Gilles Simon. That be a, would be an interesting match of a vastly experienced player in, in Simon in, in his home country against the young Swede. 22 years old is he, Mayer. And yeah, I've got him to come through matches against Yuri Vesely and Jan Leonard Struff to make his way there, which would be two very impressive wins on their own, to be honest. Um, 
he has beaten Struff before at ATP level. I'm not so sure about Vesely, quite an unpredictable player, the Russian, um, or, or Czech Republic. I'm not 100% sure. I think he's Czech Republic, yeah. Um, then my third quarterfinal, I've got Yannick Sinner, the, uh, yeah, the, the next, <laughs> the leader of, of the next, next generation of tennis players, 34 in the world now, only 19. And I've got him to play Alejandro Davidovic Fokina, another young Spaniard. He's 21. And I've got him to beat Hubert Hercash um, in, in the second round. I don't, I think the poll lost to Michaeli Mayer in the Australian Open, which came as a bit of a surprise. Um, and yeah, Davidovic Fokina finished 2020 in some very good form, uh, particularly in those Cologne tournaments in Germany, I think it was. Then the bottom quarterfinal, I've got another difference, and I have young American Sebastian Corder to face returning Luca Pui in the bottom quarterfinal. I've got David Goffin to lose to, uh, I'm not sure actually, but possibly Luca Pui. Um, I think they're down there at the bottom, yeah. And then I've got Corder to beat Joe Wilfred Songa and Lorenzo Sonigo. I can see why you've gone Sonigo, to be fair, on an indoor hardcore. Um, not not too much. Yeah, that, that probably is quite a wise pick, but just gone for a little bit of youthful exuberance at, at the bottom of the draw. Corder, of course, lost the Delray Beach final to Uber Hercash right at the start of this year. Um, so outside of my quarterfinals, just another thing to add that I have Igor Garasimov to beat Andy Murray in the first round, which will be an interesting match. Garasimov, obviously, as you mentioned, got that hiding against Karatsev in Australia. But I think he's a solid player at 250 level and will be a tough test for Murray. Yeah, um, I've actually got Andy Murray to win that match. Uh, I feel like he'll just have enough in the tank to do that. But uh, I, I can't see him getting past Yannick Sinner in the second round, uh, who will face the former Brit, uh, Alias Bedene uh, in the first round. I think a match that will be quite confident to, to see Sinner winning. Um, yeah, uh, Poi is a very interesting pick to the, the quarterfinal. I'll, I'll take my hat off to it. I've actually got Benjamin Bonzi to beat Poi in that first round. Uh, been having a little bit of success on uh, the challenge at all recently. Uh, and yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, it on that. On If I'm going to look ahead on the draw, uh, I've got Yannick Sinner to win it. Um, that'll be his third uh, 250 title in a row. Um, he's just playing fantastic tennis. I think the performance at the Australian Open went out uh, to Denis Shapovalov, I believe, and I think it was straight sets. I did watch that match. Um, and um, he just looked like someone who was a little bit puffed out, having played, I think mean, it was four matches in three days before, after the uh, schedule, scheduling of the um, Melbourne tournaments got a little bit... Uh, crazy with the, the coronavirus cases. So I've got Yannick Sinner to beat Ugo Umber in the final. Yeah, just to add that I do have the same final as you. I think I just said that I had Umber to win the tournament, but I do have Sinner to meet him there in the final. It would pro- Sinner would probably go in as favourite in that match with the bookies against Umber, but I don't know, maybe one game too far again is my prediction. Um, maybe a small home crowd. I'm not sure what the situation is, but... Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Ugo and Baird definitely in this one. He was unlucky not to beat Nick Kyrgios in Australia. Um, so, yeah, I'm still feeling just as good about Ugo and Baird. I, I noticed he's world number 32, which was a little bit lower than I thought he might have been. I thought he might have just broken into the top 30. But, yeah, I'm still backing him to to push sort of 
top 15 at least this this season yeah i'm thinking that's probably because of the the two year ranking uh, rule that they've now got uh, with players like uh, berrettini uh, holding more points than Mbappé. Yeah, Luca, uh, so, Luca Pui would be nowhere near world number seventy nine yeah. if uh, if if the normal ranking system was still in place. Well, yeah, it surprised me a little bit when I saw Pui was in the tournament, not even as a wild card, um, still qualifies to get into that without needing that. I'm sure he would have got a wild card anyway. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, that tournament very much looking like uh, whoever does the better out, me and Marcus, will come from the bottom half of the draw, probably. The bottom half sound quite different, or in fact, if we do get that final, uh, depending on who, who wins that match. Uh, now looking at the Cordoba tournament, uh, this is played on clay courts, and it's very much a, a clay court player lineup. Uh, lots of specialists uh, on the clay court there. Not really anyone in the draw, actually, that I look at thinking... You, you're not that strong on clay. There's there's a lot of uh, players here that you expect to do quite well on the clay. Um, Diego Schwartzman is the top seed. Um, going in probably as favourite by quite some way. Uh, second, set, uh, second seed, Benoit Pair. Um, then you've also got the likes of uh, the youngster, Miamir Kecmanovic. And uh, number 40, Guido Pella, I believe, has pulled out of the tournament. Although on my draw... Looking at it, it still has Pella uh, on the website, so still not 100% sure who's replaced him. And a bit of a talking point um, that Marcus raised before, it was something that actually skipped my, uh, slipped my mind a little bit, but um, the Argentine Nicholas Kicker is back uh, with a wild card. He is a player who made it into the world's top 80 uh, quite a, sort of five, six years ago. Uh, and, and then was done for match fixing and, and had a, a, a big ban put on his career. Not really something that at the time I was too invested in. But um, he, interestingly, he's re- received a wild card into this tournament um, with his ban now being up. Perhaps a little bit surprised he's been given a wild card uh, considering his history with the match fixing. But perhaps, you know, I, I guess when a player has made it to that level before, uh, and it hasn't been around for for a while. Maybe getting to that level does deserve them of a, a couple of wild cards. Maybe I'm not sure, Marcus. Before we go on to the predictions, just sort of give me your opinion on that. Yeah, I think the ethics of giving him a wild card, uh, yeah, you've just justifiably gonna gonna be questioned. I think. Yeah, match fixing doesn't exactly leave a, a, a nice taste in the mouth. There's been players in other sports that get banned for life for doing stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, he got his ban reduced. It was meant to be six years. Um, it's ended up being about two and a half or something around there. Um, yeah, not an outstanding player. I don't think we can expect him to challenge for this title. But um, you never know with these clay court specialists. They tend to climb up the rankings. Um, sometimes seemingly a bit easier than some other players. I would have liked to have seen it given to another younger Argentinian player. Um, Bayez, a younger player, won the Conception Challenger last night. Um, I know the person he beat in the final, Francisco Thurindolo, is another young player who's, I'm not sure whether it's a wild card, but he is in the draw. I think it might be as a wild card. Um, so, yeah, I think giving another chance to a younger Argentinian player might have been bit more sensible or a bit more uh, warranted uh, earned than than this for Nicholas Kikare. But 
all the same. It'll be interesting to see what kind of shape he's in. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I've actually got him to go to the quarterfinal. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting draw. As you said before, that there's a lot of clay specialists in this draw. I think sometimes that makes for an excellent tournament. Um, if you could, if you, well, as we kind of try to do sometimes, rank the players on their uh, prowess on a clay court, then we definitely have plenty of players that would be in that sort of top 30. Um, so, yeah, I think this could end up possibly being the, the highest quality tournament of the week. Interesting statement there, highest quality tournament of the week. I Maybe in terms of the number of different winners you can have, definitely I do always feel that with sort of the clay court tournaments. You can tend to see different guys popping up, uh, making it far into tournaments. Just re doing a quick bit of reading on uh, Nicholas Kikair, uh, given an original uh, six-year suspension, but it was uh, reduced to three. Um, no, sorry. Um, three, uh, yes, yeah, so sorry, reduced by three years um, and then then reduced by four months, it looks like. Not quite sure about that, but it's after he's agreed to help educate, educate other players about corruption in the sport. So he's obviously uh, committing to help sort of the education side of things and, and help the, the the younger up-and-coming players uh, and lower down on the tour not to take part in, in match fixing, which I think is a real issue on the Challenger and ITF circuits. There has been a, a lot of allegations made before, just reading here. A few years ago, the ATP uh, head at the time, Chris Commode, was... Uh, but there was a lot of allegations that there was evidence of match fixing being suppressed uh, by the ATP, he of course re rejected these, so uh, we're, we're not too uh, sure. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's um, a, you know a conversation really for another time. Looking at the Cordoba draw, um, I'll start with my quarterfinals. I got Diego Schwartzman to face uh, compatriot Juan Ignacio Londero. Then I've got uh, Galan Riveros to face uh, the veteran. Federico Del Bonis, uh, Roberto Carballes Buena to face the youngster Thiago Saboff Wild in the quarterfinal. And then uh, Federico Correa to face uh, Jaume Munar in the last quarterfinal, having Munar to beat Benoit Pair in the second round, Benoit Pair being the second seed. Yeah, um, not too many differences in this one, I don't think. Um, I agree with you in the top. Top quarterfinal, I've got Schwartzman to play Londero. Londero to beat Ramos and Andre Martin in the tournament. I think Londero's won this title before. I think this is his one ATP Tour title. Um, but yes, Schwartzman, he would have been a player that I would have looked to to go far in the tournament. But coming up against a top tenner in the quarterfinal makes it, yeah, is a, is a big barrier for him. Um, then, yeah, I've got Daniel Hahi, Galan Riveros, who I realise is actually only 24. So maybe has a little bit of a higher ceiling than I once imagined. 116 in the world currently. To play Nicholas Kikair, of course, unranked in that quarterfinal. I think he plays a qualifier in the first round and then either Federico Del Bonis, as you have, or Pedro Sosa in, in the second round. So I think definitely two winnable matches for him. Sosa and Del Bonis, of course, very good players on a clay court, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it gets on. The third quarter final, I've got Thiago Montero. Um, you had uh, Carbales Bainer. I think that could be an interesting match, but yeah, I've got Montero to make it through to the quarter final and face the 21 year old Serb Mia Mia Kecmanovic. He's won an ATP tour title on clay before. 
Um, so yeah, I felt like I had to go with him to beat Thiago Saboff Wild on his route to the quarterfinal. And I do actually have him to make the final and lose out to Diego Schwartzman. Um, but just for my bottom quarterfinal, I've Dominic Kirpfer to play Halme Munar. So I've agreed with you. I think Munar to beat Benoit Pair in the second round looks looks good if he can get past Nicholas Hari in the first. Um, of course, Nicholas Hari, another player that's been banded with controversy in the last few years. But Munar, yeah, I think he's, he's been on excellent form on, on the Challenger Tour and I'm just hoping he can he can transfer that onto into a 250 tournament. And Benoit Pair hasn't played a lot of tennis lately. So yeah, I can... Definitely see that one happening. Kurt has showed some decent form on, on on the clay circuit in recent years. So I think he'll have enough to beat Federico Correa. But no, it'll be interesting. I can definitely see <laughs> uh, the draw ended up quite different to how we've how we've laid it out. But um, no, I'm definitely excited for this tournament. But it's it's Schwartzman to beat Ketchmanovic in the final for me. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, Londero, uh, just to confirm, was the champion of Cordoba in 2019. Uh, it's a tournament that he's obviously had success at. Uh, I also have Schwarzman to win the title. Oh, I have him to beat Halme Munar in the final. I backed Munar to go quite deep into the tournament. He's had some good results on the Challenger Tour recently, and I just think it's a decent punt, really, looking at the, the players around him. It, there's, a, there's a lot of matches, I think, that you would go into it and you'd have it pretty much 50-50 on who was going to win. Uh, so I think this, when we look at these draws and see if we've got them right, there you get green lighting up for when you've you've got one right, and you've got red lighting up for when it's wrong. And if a player goes out earlier than you put, you get a big long red line because obviously if Schwartzman went out in the first round, we would have him going the, the whole way. I think this is definitely a draw that could either end up being very green or very red, really at the the flip of a coin. Uh, okay, and so then the last tournament uh, of this week being the Singapore tournament, as I say, I think this is a new tournament. Um, but definitely a, a bit of a weaker field um, in terms of sort of ranking. Uh, this one has already started, just a couple of results coming in. Uh, Taro Daniel beating uh, Ramanathan, the uh, player from India. Nishioka, the fifth seed, beating Michael Amo. Uh, they're just two of the the four results that have come in so far. Um, I will ask Marcus to open up on, on his quarterfinals for this one. Sure. Um, at the top of the draw, I've got former top tenor Ernest Gulbis um, to get past top seed Adrian Manorino in the second round, make his way into the last eight where I've got him to face Radu Albot, the uh, Moldovan player. Then the second quarterfinal, I've got Alexander Bublik, who I think has got a great chance to, to win the title here. I think, I assume it would be his first ATP Tour title. He definitely stands out as one of the more informed players in the draw. And of course, just a, a 23 years old, the Kazakhstani player. I've got him to face Yoshihito Nishioka, of course, just got through Michael and Mo in three sets. So I was a little relieved that that happened just before we started recording. Uh, yeah, Nishioka to the last eight. And then in the bottom half of the draw, I've got Kwon Soon Woo, the 23-year-old South Korean player, who actually won a challenger in Italy last week, defeating Lorenzo Musetti along the way um, to face Marin Cilic, the one-time US Open champion. And it'll be interesting to see how Marin Cilic gets on this week. I've actually got him to win the title, which might seem a little bit controversial given the form that he's shown in the last year. Definitely another player who would have slid down the rankings if it wasn't for the new system. 
Um, but I think if he can get a couple of wins under his belt, I think he's got Taro Daniel in the second round and he's got quite a nice couple of games. I feel like if he can get a couple of comfortable wins under his belt, he'll start feeling a bit more confident and uh, trusted his own ability again. And we might see some uh, some tennis from Chilich that's reminiscent of years gone by. Uh, so I've got him to face Kwon soon. And then in the bottom quarter final, I've got Alexei Poppy Rin, who beat Christopher Eubanks in the first round today, the 21-year-old Aussie against John Millman, another Australian player, an all-Aussie quarter-final. Uh, Millman, of course, a first-time tour uh, title winner last season. He's got a good chance to do that again in this uh, tournament, coming in as second seed, but I think I've got Poppy Rin to beat him and make the semi-final. So to surmise and uh, give my final prediction, I've got Marin Cilic, to beat Alexander Bublik. It's a very interesting shout on Marin Cilic, considering I think he struggled quite a bit, really, since uh, the first COVID suspension. But yeah, like like you say, I've got him to get to the semi-final, to be fair, because I don't really see anyone around him that I think will beat him. Um, looking at my quarterfinals, uh, I think you've maybe gone a little bit with your heart, uh, not your head, when you put Gulbis to beat Manorino. Uh, I know you're not the biggest fan of Manorino's uh, game, and I know you're a, you're a bigger Ernest Gulbis fan. I think that's why I see uh, Manorino getting through, but but who knows? Uh, I got Manorino to face Radu Albot. Second quarter final, I've also backed uh, Alexander Bublik uh, to get far in the tournament. Actually, I've got him to win it. Uh, so I've got Alexander Bublik to beat Maxime Cressy in the second round. The the Young, I think, American player. I think he's fairly young. Um, Mark Pullman's to face Marin Cilic in the uh, third quarter final, and Alexei Poppy Rin to face John Millman. I think that's what you also had. And then just looking ahead, I've got Millman to get to the final and lose to Alexander Bublik in the final. I did back Bublik to win uh, a tournament. I think it was at the beginning of the year. Um, but he didn't win that. And I'm not even sure he got particularly far in that. Can't remember. Uh, but I, I've gone with it again. Um, though, you know, John Millman um, and, and Manorino are all players that, you know, could probably be uh, Bublik. And, and Bublik, I think, is quite an unreliable player at times. But yeah, that that's pretty much it on that uh, so that's pretty much uh, those tournaments looked at uh, Marcus um, is there anything else you want to say before I before I sign you off um, just one thing springs to mind I mean just talking to you about it now has actually made me feel pretty enthusiastic about this tournament in Cordoba um, maybe that's just me I'm a big fan of clay tennis I love watching it um, so yeah that's that's got the juices flowing nicely but um, yeah after a few um interesting weeks uh you know a lot of really long and exciting matches in the Australian Open it feels good to be having this to fall back on uh, these three ATP 250 tournaments you know we've had to wait um quite a long time sometimes in between these tournaments and the the early schedule this year so it's you know I'm really happy to have these three tournaments to watch um rather than having some withdrawals after the Australian Open of course yeah, very interesting. Just looking at the um, the, the stats on the prediction websites of, of how many 
people have put who. Uh, Yannick Sinner having over 50% of the vote for that Montpellier title, 55.5%. Probably more to do with the fact that he's a youngster as well. I think everyone finds it a bit easier to, to get excited. Six people going for Andy Murray to win the title. Um, I mean, he did surprise us a bit at Antwerp a couple of years ago when he turned up after a long period out and won the title. But uh, I do think this would be a much bigger achievement than that, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, that is you know definitely the, the big thing this week. Uh, Andy Murray uh, returning to the tour. I think he plays his first match tomorrow. Uh, yeah, tomorrow afternoon that will be against Igor Gerasimov. So if you can watch that and you have access to... Uh, uh, a streaming platform um, that you can watch it on. Uh, that would definitely be an enjoyable match and we'll be talking more in the next episode, I'm sure, about Andy Murray's return and, and what his performance shows from that match against Grasimov. But uh, other than that, we'll we'll let you go now. Um, Marcus, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers. Yeah, just if you want to get involved, that's tennisdrawchallenge.com for the predictions. Yeah, the group's Tennis Fanalyst podcast. You can give us a follow on Twitter as well, at Tennis Fan List. But yeah, thanks for listening.